post, be thinking, what do I want out of this blog post? Because let's be real, your podcast is called, you know, it's a marketing your practice podcast. So we're talking about people who want to market something. So if you want to add altruistic to the sum of knowledge of health, that's great. But you probably wouldn't be listening to a marketing your practice podcast to further that aim. From a marketing point of view, you need to be thinking about what is the marketing goal that I'm, I would be fulfilling by doing this. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast, where we guide natural health and wellness experts through the pitfalls of marketing. Each episode, you'll learn simple, effective, easily actionable, and heart-centered marketing strategies. And here's your host, Angus Pike. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast. Now, today's guest is Stephen Lewis. Now, Stephen has been writing professionally as a journalist and a copywriter all the way back since 1994. Now, he's lectured in PR and journalism, and he even has his own book on persuasive storytelling that's been translated into different languages. So this is short for Stephen is a big deal. Now, today he runs his own Sydney-based copywriting agency called Taylorist. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Angus. It's great to be here. It's, um, I'm looking forward to our chat. We're going to talk all about copywriting. Now, we're going to, need to do a bit of a background story with that as well. But what I'm really excited about today is this concept of the five secrets to copywriting a website that helps to fill your appointment book. Now, that's exactly what my audience wants to know all about as well. But before we dive into that, can we have a little bit of a background story for those people that don't know you and what you do and want a bit more depth in our intro? Sure. Um, well, look, Writing's always been a, a big thing for me, and I think sometimes um, the word calling um, could be a, a bit strong, but I wrote my first letter to the newspaper when I was 12, and that, that got published, um, and that gave me a bit of a taste for it. So I got a law degree. I went off to university, and I got a law degree um, and decided I did not want to be a lawyer for reasons that are probably apparent to most people, including most lawyers, um, and I was pulled into journalism which i which i really loved um along the way i had started a web business so back in 1994 i started a business building websites for companies which was an utterly terrible time to have a web development business because the first question anybody asked you was what is the web yes um and, and if any of your audience is old enough to remember their second question would be okay i understand that so what's email i've heard about email as well what is that um, so selling a website was pretty difficult. So I went from there into journalism and I did a lot of IT journalism because obviously I had an interest in IT. I wrote a lot about the internet, um, you know, which was starting to be a thing, but there was no Google back when I started writing about the internet, for instance. It was a very different time. But that journalism fulfilled my love of writing and, and journalism sort of led naturally, because I was in Hong Kong at the time, it led naturally into copywriting because they needed English language writers. And back then I was calling myself a copywriter, but what I have now come to realize was I had appropriated a term that I was not qualified to claim um, for myself. Now I feel I am qualified to call myself a copywriter. Um, but I was writing a lot of brochures and things like that. But over the time in between, from the late 90s to now, I've spent a lot of time studying copywriting, what makes copywriting great, how, how to do it, um, what it means, and training other people to do it, to the point that I build up an agency where we specialize in actual persuasive copywriting, um, as opposed to just, oh, you need some words let us give you 600 of those, which is, which is very different. Yeah, can you start by, because for many of my listeners, you know, we've got chiropractors and naturopaths and Chinese med practitioners. You know, a copywriter may well be a new term from them. I'm sure they've heard the word before there too. But so, so what, what is a copywriter and, and, and what do they deliver that somebody that's just going to write words can't? So a cop copywriting is about applying a knowledge of, the product and the audience for the product or the service and the audience for the service and a knowledge of human psychology and what humans find persuasive. And, and you are essentially, every time you copyright something, you are creating a persuasion tool. So the idea is that somebody comes in at the top of that. So if we put that in a website model, 
somebody comes to your website not knowing who you are, but they're obviously looking to solve a problem. And what you are doing is taking them from, you know you have this problem, to believing at the end of it that the website that you're on offers the solution and that the only logical thing for that reader to do now is to pick up the phone or to send an email or to book an appointment. Whereas writing more generally, you might write blog posts. So I can imagine a lot of your audience, for instance, write blog posts. Mm. And in, in that instance, there's a persuasion element. Like you, you want to persuade someone that you know something about health. But really, you're writing a blog post about an aspect of health as opposed to, I want you to start this blog post knowing this. I want you to finish doing that. So anytime the purpose of the writing is to drive a reader to do something, it's copywriting. Yeah. So would it make sense that we should all have some pretty basic copywriting skills? I mean, even if I'm writing a blog post, for instance, it's something as simple as, I want to share some natural ways for my patients to decrease the inflammation. It'd be a really good outcome if they actually took the steps as opposed to reading and go, oh, that was an interesting article. Yeah, you, you're probably talking, if, you, if you're writing content about, about an aspect, then it's a sort of intermediate step. So for instance, if you imagine a Facebook world, for instance, you see an ad on Facebook. And that ad on Facebook might say, if I, if I think about um, a financial planner that I'm working for at the moment, for instance, you can put an ad on Facebook that says something that interests people about financial planning or their financial futures. They click on it and it leads to a landing page that tries to persuade that person that they need to give you the financial planner a call. What you're describing is a sort of intermediate step where you might, the financial planner might put out an article that's very interesting on a particular topic and somebody clicks on it, reads the article and in terms of copywriting, what they're coming to think is, hey, you know what, this financial planner knows what they're talking about. That's quite interesting. Then there's a link at the bottom of that that says, hey, if you want to know more, click here. You click here and then you arrive on the landing page that says, hey, this is what I do, this is who you are, this is why you need me. So you've warmed people up along the way. So in the instance that you're describing, the copywriting element would be, I need you to come from here and go to here. What are the steps that you need to take in the middle? And it might be that the article that you're describing is a step in the middle because you're teaching them that they have a problem that they need to get a solution to or you're teaching them that you are a person that they need to talk to. And once you've warmed them up, then you'd send them to some um, harder core, if you like, copywriting. But you should absolutely, in answer to your question, always, when you're writing a blog post, be thinking, what do I want out of this blog post? Because let's be real, your podcast is called, you know, it's a marketing your practice podcast. So we're talking about people who want to market something. So if you want to add altruistically to the sum of knowledge of health, that's great. But you probably wouldn't be listening to a marketing your practice podcast to further that aim. From a marketing point of view, you need to be thinking about what is the marketing goal that I'm, I would be fulfilling by doing this. Yeah. And I think one of the things that kind of attracted me to this interview too, Stephen, is that you know, so many of my audience... Um, are creating content. Now, whether it be blog posts, but many of them are creating videos as well. But they're failing to get purchase. And by that, I mean, is they're failing to get that person taking the next step. And that's really what we're going to be talking about. And to, I, I just want to ask this question of you two and not to, because copywriting is not just writing. We want to provide or, or include the elements in a video, those kind of things there. So it's not just for the written word. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, copywriting, what, what you would say, so for instance, a client I'm, I'm picking up at the moment, they want people to come to their seminars, um, they run a video funnel on Facebook, so they're showing the videos on Facebook, absolutely they want us to write the script for that video. Yes. Copywriting, is wherever there are words, you need a copywriter. If those words are intended to persuade and there's money on the line, you are well advised to get somebody helping you with that who knows how to use words to make money, whether they're delivered in speech in a video or a podcast or, you know, in writing. 
Got it. Okay. So now I'm intrigued. Let's work our way through, you know, those five elements or those five secrets that you talk about that we need to have incorporate into our website. So let's get clear again. The end result we want of our website is people getting on the phone and calling us. Uh, and so they're filling our appointment books too. So shall we dive in? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing, I mean, we should say to go back just that one step is you do need to think about traffic. Like, I mean, that's something I find a lot as a copywriter. People will come to me and say, I want you to write a new website for me. And I'll say, okay, well, how are you going to send people to that website? And they're like, well, you're going to write it and then it's going to appear on Google and then people are going to come to it. And you're like, Google doesn't reshuffle the front page just because they go, oh, Angus has rewritten his website. Let's boot somebody else onto page two and put Angus's new website on page one. So you do have to be thinking about the traffic that you're going to get to your website. Once you've got the right people coming to your website, the absolute first thing that you need to do, and it is extraordinary how many people don't, is tell the visitor, what do you do? Yeah. It's so basic. And yet I challenge you on the next 10 websites that, that you, you go to, ask yourself, does this website tell me above the fold on the front page what they do? And I will bet the answer seven times out of 10 is no. Yep. So what you'll find a lot, my favorite example is, you know, you'll go to an accountant's website and it will say, you know, we're your business process experts or we, we're your business partner advisors or whatever they want to call themselves. And you're thinking, I just want someone to do my tax. Do you do tax? Yes. And that answer is surprisingly difficult to find. So if you are a chiropractor or a Chinese medicine specialist, say it above the fold. Right. Say it with the pictures, say it with the words that you use. What do you do? You know, just don't leave. Because what you want is what's called a conversion, right? A conversion is when you take a reader from one state and convert them into doing something else. So your ultimate conversion, as you've just said, is to get someone to pick up the phone or to use your online appointment booker, you know, to essentially make contact with a view to engaging you as, as their health practitioner. That's what you want them to do. They are infinitely less likely to do that if they can't work out what the hell you do. You know, you're not going to make an appointment speculatively to find out what somebody does. Going, oh, sounds like they're an accountant. Okay, I'll book in half an hour. You're not going to do it if you don't know. And it is amazing to me how many people have a website that leaks from that, that sort of that first part. And there's a really easy way to test whether you've done it. Um, so all of your listeners have a friend who is not in the business. So is not a health practitioner, a civilian friend. Get them to look at your website, find, find one you think is going to be honest with you, set it up nicely so that they're encouraged to be honest with you and say to them, if I you know, give you this website, you have a read of it, tell me what I do and tell me why that is that somebody should find that exciting for themselves. And you, I mean, again, if I think if you do that on a test at, you know, out of 10 websites, most of them, if you went to the owner of that website and said, this is what I've understood that you do, you would be describing a business that the owner of that website does not recognize as their own business because they filled it up with waffly flannelly jargon because they're trying to capture everybody and instead they're capturing nobody. So that, that's my first piece of advice is say what you do and ask an honest friend with no prompting, just say, please read this page and come back to me and tell me, what do I do? And the second part of that is who do I do it for? Yeah. Because that's the other part. When you go and look at a website, you might work out that somebody's an accountant, but the accountant that Telstra uses and the accountant that I use are probably not the same accountant. So if you end up on an accountant's website, you also want to have some sense of, am I the client you're looking for? Yes. And that is the same you know, for, for your audience you know, as well. If, if, if I'm a health practitioner who only treats women, then you need to have that front and center on the website. Or if you know that your clients are looking for comfort, that you treat a certain type of person, that needs to be up there as well. Or again, you'll have a leaky website because they'll go looking for somebody who says, I do this and I do it for these people. And they go, oh, great, I found the right person. 
So you're constantly trying to position yourself as the right person. Got it. So might that look like to see if I'm on the right page with this statement? So if I was a naturopath, for instance, I might say, hey, listen, I'm an uh, a naturopath and I help men over 40 lose weight without having to go to diets or punish themselves with horrible workouts. Is that the kind of thing that would need to be? And again, when we talk about above the fold that Stephen talked about before, that means it's on your screen, whether it be on your phone or your desktop without you having to scroll down. Exactly. The first thing you say. Yeah. So, so that, and, and yeah, you're absolutely thing. right. I mean, I can, I mean, I can understand, for instance, in your naturopath example, that that might be a subset of people that they treat. So you might on the homepage, you might find it very difficult to go as specific as that, but it would be brilliant if you could, if, if that is who you work for, then the more specific you can go. So if you're a naturopath who covers all areas of the field mm. for any sentient human being, then you just kind of have to say, I'm a naturopath. But what you would also be looking to kind of try and say at the same time is what is the benefit of that to every living being who might be your target client? But the narrower you are, the more targeted you can be in exactly the example, you know, that you're saying, you know, because you were putting benefit statements into there as well. So you don't have to go to the gym and you don't have this problem and you, you know, so you, that is a much more appealing. If you imagine yourself as fitting into that demographic, how much more appealing is it for you to land on a website that says, Hey, I, I see you, you are a man over 40, you're unhealthy, you need the following things and I know how to get them for you. It's a lot more appealing than a website that says, I'm a naturopath. What do you want? Yeah. Like that, that is how you're going to really be able to boost your conversion rate. The narrower you can go in saying what you do and who you do it for, the better you, you're going to go. So to go back to your, your example, if you can't go that specific, you want to try and sort people as quickly as possible. So your website would say, I'm a naturopath. Are you? a man over 40, a man under 40, overweight, suffering from whatever, and you might have boxes then on your website that then allow people to sort themselves. So essentially, if I click the box that says I'm a man over 40 worried about my weight, then you know that your next page is going to talk to me very, very specifically. That would be the art of copywriting, to talk as specifically to people as possible. So you've understood all their problems, all their pain points, all of their doubts, and you're nurturing them through that whole process until, as I said earlier, you get to the point where they think, there's only one thing I can do right now, and that's call Angus. It's the only logical choice at this point is to call Angus and book an appointment. Got it. And so I'm seeing in terms of the, a way that this could be done with a little bit of variation, if we go to a chiropractor, this who says, look, I kind of tend to have three groups of people coming to me, people with lower back pain, people with neck pain, and people with headaches. And I could just be, hey, I'm Angus, a chiropractor, I help with, and then down beneath there, you know, or do you have back pain, neck pain, headaches, click on either of that, and that's when I get into the story of, you know, which we'll get into it a little bit there too. But that would be a way that I could kind of broaden the funnel a little bit at the start, and then kind of narrow in in those areas. Would that be a fair example? That is exactly right. Because the person who has a headache doesn't care at all about the person who has low back pain. I do not want to read a lot of stuff about lower back pain if I don't have lower back pain. Don't care. But if, so if you said to me, do you have this, this or this? I'm like, fantastic. Let's talk about me, which is very important in copywriting. We're talking about you, the reader at all times. Nobody cares about Angus, the chiropractor. They care about them, the person suffering from lower back pain or a headache or whatever it might be. So the sooner you can start talking to somebody about themselves, the better they're going to like what you're writing. Okay. So gang, step number one is that you need to be saying what you do and we need to have it at the very top of our website. So it's the first thing that our audience see. Step number two is to be visual. So really what you want to be in this is, incredibly um, important in every single area, but it's, it's I think, um, very widely overlooked in the, in the health area. We're doing some work at the moment for, for somebody in the area of health. It's very hard. It's a muscle that you have to exercise, which I, I guess is something you're, you're, which is a metaphor that um, your, your, <laughs> your audience would understand. Very good. Health is abstract. 
I am healthy, you are not healthy, is I can't picture that. If I, if I said to you, Angus, my mother is unhealthy, you don't know what to picture. But if I said to you, my mother is a 60-a-day smoker who can't get off the sofa and um, you know ha- hasn't been for a walk or a swim for five years, you've got a really clear idea of who that is. So I would say if your audience were to go to their own websites right now and, and do a little test, they would find that more than 90% of everything on their websites is an abstract concept. Healthy is an abstract concept. Lower back pain is an abstract concept. So to take your example of lower back pain, as, as, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very clear tool to get somebody sorted in your example. You're sorted, you don't have a headache, you have lower back pain, go to this page. But on that page, you would want to be building empathy with the person that you were talking to by saying, do you get a twinge when you get up from your chair? Do you find it difficult to get up in the morning because you feel a shooting pain up your back? Or again, I'm trying to be a chiropractor and I'm not, but you know exactly what would describe that person. So you, you would be painting a picture of this, this is what your life looks like today. So if I, if I give you an example of a landing page I was looking at for someone the other day, um, he's got a website that he wants to appeal to essentially to fat dads. So you're over 40, you're overweight. Do you want to lose weight? The landing page that he showed me was extremely abstract. It just said things like, are you busy and do you want to lose weight? That doesn't paint a busy as an abstract concept. Mm. Do you get up in the morning feeling tired and feeling like you don't stop till the end of the day without having achieved anything in terms of improving your own health? Uh, it's still fairly abstract, but you would you know, build it up. Do you roll out of bed in the morning and throw some food in your mouth, jump in the car, get to work and spend the day sitting on your backside? Is that what you do? Th- those things are visual. Now I'm starting to see myself. I'm starting to see that then you want to persuade me that you can do something different. You would start saying things like, and this is obviously the examples I'm giving you are terrible copywriting, but um, you would be saying things like, how would you like to be able to twirl your children above your head like a Harlem Globetrotter with a, with a you know, basketball? That's very visual. And so, you know, those of your audience who are listening to this now as a podcast without seeing me do the little Harlem Globetrotters thing with my finger will be seeing that in their mind. They will be imagining themselves taking their children and twirling them around on their index finger. And suddenly you start to feel how you would feel if you did that. So that visual element is incredibly important because what you are selling is ultimately abstract you are selling me health, which is a totally abstract concept. So, you know, if I think about myself now, I am uh, too inert. I don't do enough exercise. I've got a bit of a cough at the moment, but compared to somebody who is in a ward at a hospital right now, I am in wonderful health. Mm. You know, there are people who are a lot worse off than me. So it's all terribly abstract. Whereas if you think about, what is my audience suffering and what does that literally look like for them? And what does the end state look like for them? So once they've been through some treatment with me, what does their life look like? You want to start writing to that because I think in particular technical audiences and so your audiences are well studied. They have read a lot of appallingly written textbooks Um, that are all abstract, highly conceptual, very um, to do with the mechanics of things and nothing to do with the benefit of it. You know, it's a certain type of person. And, you know, if you think about buying a car to take a different kind of thing, if I said to you, imagine putting the top down, hitting a coastal highway, the wind through your hair, many people would be much more excited about buying a car when you paint that picture than I say, imagine the the cylinders in your engine doing this and the spark doing that and igniting the fuel. And I don't don't care about any of that. You know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. I don't care. I care that the bus is taking me to the beach. These are the sort of pictures that you need to be painting. So while what you're doing as a health practitioner may be, improving the mechanics inside my body 
you need to be painting me a picture of what my life is like when I have those improved mechanics versus what my life is like today, because that's what you're selling me. Yeah. If that makes sense. It makes absolute sense. In fact, it's one of the things that I kind of realized early in practice that when you came to see me with low back pain, for instance, I, I, I had this aha moment with a patient of mine who'd had more than a decade of back pain. And I kind of asked her the question out of the blue. I said, like, why now? You know, you've had this for 10 years. Why now? And she said, I know exactly why now. She said, the pain has got to the stage now where, you know, the highlight of my day is when I get home from work and I walk with my husband and my back pain has got to the stage now where I can't do that. And it's where we connect and that's where we organize our life in around that. Now, what I realized at that moment she actually didn't want to get rid of her back pain. She wanted to get back to walking with her husband. And so when I, commu I, I then had this whole new understanding of how to communicate with her, that if I was wanting her to change her exercise, change her habits, I, I never mentioned getting rid of her back pain. The motivating factor now was always to get her and keep her walking with her husband. Huge aha moment for me. And sometimes difficult for health practitioners because we think that people coming to see us only to get rid of their symptoms when it's my contention. I think you're saying the same thing. It's not just that. Is that does that sound fair? Yeah. You, nobody goes to a yoga studio because they want to be bendy. You know, they don't, they don't think, oh, that yoga, really my, my ligaments will be that much more flexible. And I woke up this morning thinking to myself, wouldn't it be fantastic if my ligaments were more flexible? They want to feel better they want to be more connected they want to wake up fresher in the morning they want to feel more spiritual you know what whatever those things are you need to tap into those things there is a reason why those of us who are overweight it's not in most cases i think it would be fair to say i'm i'm not medically qualified in most cases most people who are overweight could become of an appropriate weight fairly easily if they just stop filling their faces with the wrong foods and not doing enough exercise. Of course, there are people who have problems, but speaking for myself, my problems have nothing to do with uh, any problem my body would have in uh, being at the correct weight if I just stopped eating as much as I did. Um, so why don't I? It's not a lack of knowledge. You know, it's those things you've got to tap into. What are you selling? Because I know what I'm giving up is the burger. What am I getting instead of the burger yeah. has to be sold to me. Um, and, and that's the thing. So, and what may also be very helpful in, in a health practice world. So for instance, we wrote a website for um, a very um, talented woman called Joe Grabin and her website is bouncematters.com.au. And, and that website, so Joe, and I've, would imagine this applies to a lot of your audience does a lot of different things so when we looked at the website that she had it was full of i do this and i do that and i do many many things that ordinary people just didn't understand because they're very technical she's very well trained she does a lot of things in a multidisciplinary functional medicine sort of way so what we did was we sat down with her and we said well joe who do you do that for? So it's very difficult. The what you do is so broad and not understood by the recipient of the benefit. But who is that person? And she was saying, well, you know, I do a lot of stuff with people who are tired. You know, they're, they, they're just tired and they don't know why. And they've been to the GP and the GPs passed them to 700 different specialists who've passed them to, you know, amongst themselves. And they're, they're, so they're not only tired, they're tired of going and seeing specialists. And I said, well, what, what do those people say when they come to see you? And she said, they say, I never feel this way, but it's been a year now. And that was such a powerful commonality between those people that actually, if you go to Joe's website today, that is the headline. Because saying what Joe does would not be understood by her patients. What they do understand is I never feel this way, but it's been a year now. They get that. And then if you were to read the rest of the copy on that web, on that, on that page and on the what we do page, Joe paints a picture of who you are. So she doesn't do a lot of telling you what she's going to do to help you, 
the route that she takes on that website is making you understand that you are the right person. Mm. I am highly trained. I help these people. You are in a terrible state because you've been passed from specialist to specialist. You haven't been able to get a diagnosis. That is what I specialize in doing. And I'm not going to give you all the details of all the tools in my toolbox. Um, a little bit like going to an electrician, for instance, another area of life that I don't understand, right? <laughs> Nobody would want me running the electricity around their house. They come, they've got this mystifying box of tools with a mystifying number of tools that I don't understand. I don't need to understand the tools. Mm. I need to understand that you know what you're doing and my life will be better after you've done it. And I would imagine just based on my experience that a large percentage of your audience will have a website that describes all the tools in their toolbox that their readers don't care about. I don't, I don't care whether my dentist is using this pointy thing or that pointy thing, right? I, I just don't care. I don't know what they're called and I don't care. I want the result at, at the end of it. Yep. So I would imagine that, that, you know, that that is a test that, you know, your audience could do is go to their website right now. And we're on two steps of a five-step process. Have you said what you do and who you do it for? And have you painted a picture of your audience now and after they've worked with you? And I'll, I'll bet they probably haven't. So the, those are two very low-hanging pieces of fruit that they could work on right now. My sense is too, Stephen, that that good copywriting is somebody's reading it. They should be reading it with a sense that says, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. That they feel understood. Um, and there's a level of rapport that then naturally leads on to a level of trust which is what will ultimately lead to me feeling more confident with hopping on the phone there too. So I, I, that, that's, I, I, I'm, I'm right, I guess, in saying that that's what we're trying to achieve. Have the person felt, heard, known, like how do you know so much about me? Is, is, that, is that fair? Yes. I mean, if you imagine somebody's come into your clinic and you treat them like a massive generality, ah, oh, male human has arrived in my clinic and I will now talk to you as male human number 72. That is not going to do it. Your, your audience lives in a world in which building empathy is going to be a huge part of the process of treatment. And yet when people who don't write for a living sit down to write, what they quite often do is then put everybody at arm's length. I'm going to write in abstractions. I'm going to write in generalities. I'm going to talk about humans rather than I'm going to picture the last patient who came into my office with lower back pain. I'm not going to picture that person and write to that person. I'm just going to write like my tutor taught me to write in my first year essays. Like that is basically what you will often be looking at on a health practitioner's website is a first year students tertiary education level essay. And yeah what you would be much better off writing is to the last patient you saw who had that problem as if you're talking to that person. And then you are much more likely to write something. Whereas you say that reader feels understood and is that you're going to get them. Is there some truth in kind of saying that we should be writing at that grade six or year seven or year eight kind of level? Um, and, and sometimes when I talk about that, you know, I'll get some feedback that people feel that's almost condescending. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I used to, when I was a journalist, my editors were always taking out big words and saying people won't know what that word means. And I would say, well, I'm writing in English. They speak English. They should get a dictionary and learn the word. Um, that was my, I was under 30 at the time. That was my under 30 year old um, view of it. The reality is people are reading quickly. They are distracted. So even the most intelligent person reading your website is probably not giving you their full attention. Mm. So you are immediately knocking, you know, you are immediately knocking out some level of their intelligence. So it's not actually condescending, in my opinion, to write in a way that is clear and easy to digest. Like the best copywriting in the world that you read will be written at a, at a, at a 12 year old or lower level. It will not use big fancy words, but it will be pleasant to read and it will not be condescending because in conversation, most of us do not speak to each other in conversation 
as if we're addressing a public meeting of professionals. But then when we get to our website, we write as if we are addressing, you know, a public meeting of professionals, we need to sound. I mean, I, I was doing some writing once for um, a professor. He was a former professor at Monash University in something called Human Factors, I think it was called, which is basically about understanding how humans interact with machines. Mm-hmm. He'd gone to work for another company and he said to me, well, you know, my, one of my specialties was cross-modal attention shifting. And I said to him, well, what, what is cross-modal attention shifting? He said, well, you know, when you're watching the television, you hear a loud noise and you, you know, you look around to see what it was. That's cross-modal. I said, so instead of watching the television, you're listening to whatever the sound was. And he said, that's right. I said, so your attention has been has shifted from one thing to the other. And he said, yes. I said, but you call that cross-modal attention shifting. And I said, well, how about in this thing, which was just for LinkedIn, right? We call it swapping your attention from one thing to the other. He really, really didn't like that because you could tell that he thought all the other professors would think that he was dumb because he didn't say cross-modal attention shifting. But he wasn't right with the professors. You know, if you, you, you are not going to criticize a surgeon who talks to you about your cancer spreading rather than metastasizing if you understand spreading and you don't understand metastasizing. It is just never condescending, in my opinion, to be clear because you can express them. I mean, I saw at the Sydney Writers' Festival, A.C. Grayling, who's a philosopher, he writes two books a year as well as all the other things he does, right? That's not, he doesn't just write two books a year. He has a brain the size of a planet and you could understand every word that came out of his mouth. It was an absolute pleasure to listen to him talk. And he is not stupid. And nobody in that room felt like he was condescending to them. So which is a very long-winded answer to, to, to your question. But in, in, particularly in terms of internet persuasion, if you force the reader to go back a sentence to try and work out what the thread of what you're talking about is, you've created friction. And you need your website to be a greased shoot from somebody arrives and they just go all the way down the slide to the bottom where they click the book an appointment button. And every single thing you do in the middle to create friction slows them down and fewer of them will get to the bottom. And writing in terms that they don't understand in long sentences, you know, you're looking for sentences that are 16 words or less, words of two syllables or less, And however pompous you are at heart, and I am extremely pompous at heart, you just have to let it go. You just don't say leverage. I know everybody loves the word leverage. Say use, and you will eventually feel better about yourself because, again, if you don't work in financial services or physics, leverage just means use. Just say use, and you'll feel better about yourself very quickly. Yeah, what a great... It has been... uh, a downfall of mine, you know, with a love of science to want to write. And I go, but that, that's actually scientifically inaccurate for me to call it a pinch nerve. Okay. People understand pinch nerves. Let's not talk about disafferentation or, you know, so it, it was that hurdle for me to get over and then to, and I think you put it so nice and I would just remind our audience who you're writing for. You know, if this is an article that's to go in JMPT or some PubMed, then you need to. Your audience there is other academics. But when we're talking about our website now, which is helping somebody, understand that the end result of that in many cases is actually going to be a barrier of that's going to get in the way of, of, of helping people. Let's move on to secret number three. And this is, you know, talking about the concept of case studies and testimonials and the difference between the two of them and, and, and why you're such a big fan of using a case study. So a a testimonial is the thing that you might see on a website that says, Angus, you're amazing. You solved all of my problems. I tell all of my friends, you know, to go and see you. That is a testimonial. Mm. A case study is a story. A case study has a beginning, a middle and an end. And it, it tells that story and it takes you through it. And the importance of a case study is everybody who comes to your any piece of copy, but in, but in this case, you know, to your website, one day are biased towards the status quo. So it's just a, a fact of human psychology that we are biased towards the status quo. 
change frightens us. It might frighten us a little bit. Like if I, if I get up now and decide that I'm going to go to the kitchen, that's not a massive change, but it's easier for me to stay here sitting on my backside. So something has to motivate me greater to go to the kitchen than my love of the status quo, which is to, which is to sit here. So you, you are on your, on your website taking somebody who's biased towards the status quo and trying to persuade them to do something. So they will have anchors, they will have resistance, they will have objections to what they're doing, and they will have potentially fears, particularly if it's something to do with health. They may have a fear around it. If you try to confront those fears head on, you know, hey, fat boy, I know you're scared of losing weight, you gigantic loser. I know you love the burger. They're going to go, well, I'm not at all frightened of losing weight. I don't know what you're talking about. They will absolutely deny it. We will not admit to our fears, generally to ourselves either. Like, and again, your audience will be working with this all the time where you are peeling back the layers of what is really causing some of the problems that people have. So you can't confront it head on. You can't say, I know you're frightened to lose weight because I'll probably say, no, I don't think I am. So you tell a story. You tell a story of somebody who looks like me who came in to see you and you discuss their fears and their emotional journey and their roadblocks and their objections to what you're doing. And you talk about all of those things and I'm on that journey with you, but you're not confronting me with my own fears. I'm just reading a novel. I'm watching a movie, but I am feeling those feelings. And that might sound ridiculous, but of course, you know, you watch a film, you cry. You watch a film, the dog dies, the child dies, the mum dies, whoever dies, you cry. It's not your mum, it's not your dog. You didn't know them 90 minutes ago before you started watching the film. You don't know, they're made up people and you're still crying along with the story. So a case study gives your reader a chance to acknowledge their own fears, acknowledge their own objections, acknowledge their own doubts, and it gives them a chance to try on how they would feel going through your process. Because in that case study, your patient is feeling something, you're doing something, and an end result is achieved. And it takes a lot of that uncertainty away. So part of your bias towards the status quo is you don't know what's going to happen if you do something. So I, I went to see a doctor recently who specializes in an area that I won't bore you with, but I had never been to see such a doctor before. I had no idea what would happen. I had no idea what sort of examinations he would want to perform on me. I was, I will admit, quite nervous about the whole thing. And then he sent me off for a procedure that I'd never heard of before. And I was really quite, you know, uh, nervous about all of that. So you are dealing with that. Whereas if I'd read a case study of somebody who'd gone along and had this and I'm going, oh, okay, that's what happens. And he'll talk about this kind of thing. And then, you know, at this meeting, he's just going to give me options. He's not going to suddenly lunge at me with a scalpel and start cutting at me. You know, whatever those things are that are causing you to be worried, you rehearse them out in a case study. Whereas in a testimonial that just says, Angus is the best, you know, five stars, you don't, you don't get that. So that's why I think case studies are so important. And for your audience, it would be a case of saying, to go back to your earlier example, lower back pain, headache, let's have a case study for what might happen if you have lower back pain. Let's have a case study for what might happen if you have a headache. So I'm getting some sense of what it will be like to work with you without actually having to come and see you to do that. But it's much easier for me to click that book and appointment button if I have a lot less uncertainty about what will happen when I click that button. Mm. I wonder, Stephen, here in Australia, I mean, we've got a lot of listeners from around the globe that, that listen to us. And um, for many of the Australians, they're not able to actually use uh, even a case study like that. might be tricky with regards to APRA and how they would look at it as well. Could we... I'm just wondering, like, could, not, not, not a fake uh, um, case study at all, but could we do, look, you know, when people come and see us, often some of the biggest concerns they have, it, it might be this or it might be that. You know, could we describe that person through that way there? So it's not actually a case study of a specific person per se, but what it actually is, in fact, is, uh, you know, we're sharing a, a made-up person that might have the same fears, frustrations and worries as you. 
Yeah, you, the, the other way that you could look at it is to come up with a list of objections that, that people have. What are the reasons that people don't do something? So, for instance, in the, in the case of the surgery um, or in the case of the doctor that I went to see, there is a surgical option. And some people elect not to have that, that surgery. And, and he would think that it was not a good idea for you to elect not to have that surgery. So the idea would be for him to come up with what are all the reasons that people say they don't want to do it? And then in writing, address that. I mean, not so nakedly as to say, you think this, I think that, you think this. But in your writing, so if you were, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, if you were writing about a product, for instance, you know, you, you might say, you know, grips hard and will never, you know, snap on you. This is a bulldog clip I'm holding up. You know, grips hard and will never snap on your finger. Because I know that the objections are paper will fall out of it and, you know, you might, you might pinch yourself. So you don't have to use words, you will not pinch yourself on, on this, but you could say you won't, you won't get hurt or you won't whatever. So in, in your case, you, you might be thinking, okay, well, some of the reasons that people don't come in for lower back pain are, for instance, that they're worried, I'm going totally off the medical piece here, it's a tumor on the back of my spine and I don't want to know about it. Yeah. Let's say that's why I'm worried. You might choose to say... 99% of the time, um, the problem is not a tumor on the base of the, it's whatever. You don't directly say, I know you are worried about this, but don't be. Mm. You're just thinking, what are all the things that somebody might worry about? And how do I, how do I assuage that, those fears? Yeah. There's an interesting thought, because moving into kind of step four, you talk about this ratio between you and we, uh, and particularly with regards to the very poorly named About Us page as well. I really love what you had to say about this. And I, it, it's interesting because I only got kind of introduced to this concept about sort of, you know, 12 months ago. I went, yes, that's exactly right. So let's talk about that. So, you know, uh, you, you call a page About Us and so people immediately think they should just bang on about themselves endlessly. But... The, the About Us page on your website is generally, in most businesses, it's going to be the second most visited page. So it will have, you know, the, the home page is generally the most visited page and then the second most visited page is the About Us page. Because what happens is somebody comes, they read about your services and they think, okay, I'm, I'm quite interested in that. You, you have correctly described me and I'm quite interested in being treated for that. But I'd like to know a little bit more about who's going to be doing the treating. So then they go to the About Us page. And that's when people start banging on about, we were founded in 1928. I don't care. You know, I don't care if you're founded in 1928. Between the three of us, we have 120 years of experience. I don't care, because for all I know, that means two of you have got 55 years of experience and one of you's got five minutes of experience. I mean, I don't know what any of that means. I want to know how you're going to treat me, why you are qualified to treat me, how am I going to feel after I've worked with you? Those are the things that you need to be focusing on. And a very simple test is go through your About Us page and look for the words, we, I, my, versus you, your, etc. Um, like I, I did one for a wedding photographer and, and he didn't mean to, but his About Us page made him sound like he was going to be the neediest wedding guest you, you could possibly imagine because it was all, I love weddings. I love coming to beautiful weddings. I love weddings with beautiful people in beautiful places. And I love to photograph them. And you're like, oh my God, I've got to convince you that I'm a beautiful person and I'm getting married in a beautiful enough place. And you know, that you're going to feel good about it. Um, some slight tweaks to be more, your wedding will be beautiful and I will love to photograph it. Your wedding will be in a lovely place. You will remember it forever, and I'm very excited about helping you with that. It's you, you, I, as opposed to I love weddings, I love photographing weddings, I can't wait to come to your wedding, I'm very excited, I wanna eat the cake. Um, you, you're, the job of your About Us page is to convince me that you get me, you will get me. So it's still about me, that's, that's the purpose. And, Unless I'm a windsurfer, I don't care that you like windsurfing. It's not, you know, <laughs> I've got three children is really relevant if you're a pediatrician. It's yes. really irrelevant if you're going to be my accountant. You know, it's, you've really got to be thinking about, um, how much do I want to get to know you? Oh, only the bits of you 
you know, that are relevant. I'm doing a website at the moment for a guy who helps people with their renovations, for instance, and in particular with the renovations of their kitchens. So it is very relevant to his audience that he and his team love to cook. So they love kitchens. They love to make kitchens that work because they use kitchens. So as people who like to cook, they really appreciate what a kitchen should have. Therefore, when we write about them, we're writing about what is their signature dish. And if they were designing their own kitchen, what is the one like must have that they would include in that design? That's extremely relevant when you're going to someone who designs a kitchen that you're kind of feeling, okay, I, I'm getting someone who understands food and kitchens. I don't care what my chiropractor likes to cook. It, it's not relevant. We may become friends. I might want to find that out, but on your about us page, I'm looking to know about me and how you're going to fit in with me. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And that understanding that, I, you know, that as we talked about, it's wrongly named. It, it's more about, if it is, it's about how I will help you. Um, and since yeah. you talk about the kind of the wedding photographer thing, I got married last year and had trawled through a wedding website, a photographer website after, and I came to one, looked at the about me and, you know, he immediately described me beautifully. I bet this isn't the first, are you sick and tired of doing this kind of stuff? And it was, it got me reading through the, the rest of it. It was beautiful copywriting because um, he described me so beautifully and then linked into how he could help me. I think it was a, you know, and, and as you mentioned, this is the second most visited page on our website. So, you know, a great advice that you would kind of share there is look at your ratio of, of, of how you're communicating as, as well. On to point number five, um, you know, we've touched on this a little bit kind of going through it already, this concept of that you're not Wikipedia. What do you mean by that? I did a website for a GP in, in Melbourne and one of their ideas was that they were going to put up articles about, I don't know, malaria shots and flu shots and colds and coughs. And, and I said to them, do you, do you have any evidence that you are the place that your patients go to for that kind of information? Because my guess would be, being a parent myself, if I thought one of my children has measles, and, and any of your listeners who are parents and, and not experts in measles will know that any rash as a parent, you're immediately Googling images of what measles looks like yes. um, and comparing them to your child. It wouldn't cross my mind to visit my GP's website. I hit Google and it's whatever comes up on Google is what I'm going to read, which tends to be... Um, even though I'm in Australia, it tends to be the National Health Service in the UK tends to come up quite high. Then the various state health services around me, so New South Wales and Victoria come up high. And that's enough. That, that's what I'm looking at. I would never go to my GP's website. I did some work for a podiatrist and they had all of these articles about, you know, plantar fasciitis or whatever it's called and all of those things. I'm like, I want to know that you treat those things and then I want to come to see you to have it treated. I don't want to get a diploma in podiatry before I come to see you. That's not my job. You know, like if somebody comes to me for copywriting, for instance, they, they don't want me to send them three books on copywriting that I think they should read first, right? They're coming to me as the expert to provide the solution. And I think there's a real temptation that, that, you know, health practitioners have as, as well as other people to go, I want to write an article on something, lower back pain, for instance. The challenge is the world is not short of articles on lower back pain, but you've gone out and you've spent potentially four or five hours writing an article on lower back pain that has not really added necessarily to the sum of human knowledge. And in my opinion, there's time that you could better spend on your marketing. It doesn't necessarily hurt you although in the case of the podiatrist i felt like i was being asked to diagnose myself prior to coming in mm. read some of these articles you tell me whether you think you've got a you know rotated left foot and then book an appointment accordingly and i'm like, i just want to book an appointment and come in and you tell me what's wrong with me mm. um i don't think it was helping i mean that that was my feeling on that and i think if as a health practitioner you've got time to be writing articles there are probably things that you could better do to further your to further your marketing 
Where does this fit, Stephen, in this concept of content marketing, which really is providing, you know, how-to type sort of information that takes your customer through a trust cycle? Where, where does that fit in? Because it sounds almost kind of contradictory to that. I think you would want to be thinking about where is the gap for you. So if, if I think about my GP, for instance, I know that if I need a flu shot, I need to go to my GP. I, I guess I could go to my pharmacist as well. I know that if I've got a cold or a cough or whatever, I know to go to my GP. So I don't think my GP would gain anything by writing articles about colds and coughs and, and, and whatever. However, some people in your field, for instance, in, in your, your audience rather, might have an audience who know that they have a problem but don't know where they could find a solution. Mm. So in that case, you might be thinking, okay, well, I know there's lots of people wandering around who have, I don't know, an unsightly rash that they don't know can be fixed by traditional Chinese medicine. Mm. So I need to get off my website and maybe run some content marketing on Facebook or somewhere like that. Um, because the reality that you write a blog post on your website about an unsightly facial rash and Google making that the number one result when somebody's searching unsightly facial rashes is pretty much nil. Yes. So the way that content marketing is used by a lot of people um, tends to be it feels good because you think you're doing some marketing. I spent four hours writing an article today. I've done some marketing. So it's a bit of a placebo to, to marketing, whereas to go, okay, let's really think about what people don't know and where I can find the people who don't know that and what the business goal for me might be. So if you're planning to write an article on unsightly rashes that can be solved by traditional Chinese medicine, at the same time, and this takes us full circle right back to where I started with traffic, think about where you're going to get by, because you have to buy traffic today. Where are you going to buy the traffic to that content? And don't write it until you know how you're going to distribute it, because putting it on your website is not the same as yeah. distributing it. Yeah, no, I'm really clear about what you're saying there, that those kind of pieces of content, whether they be a video, a blog post, an article, may be great to put on social media as part of a paid strategy that then gets people over onto your website, which we've just, you know, we've gone through our five steps there from, you know, letting them know more about what you're doing, you know, being really visual and how we're talking not abstract as well. Case studies, if you can, again, a word out there of make sure that you check with your regulatory boards there as well. Check your you-we ratio there and then finishing off reminding yourself again, you are not going to be in this case. We've got two guys talking a lot about rashes here, which worries me a little bit uh, yeah. <laughs> where we're going down the pathway to, but that's perhaps a conversation for another time there as well. So. Yeah. Steve, it's a great framework um, as, as well. Thank you for sharing so generously with thank, thank our God. audience today. Do you have any kind of final thoughts to kind of sum this up um, as well for our listeners? I, I would say that your time is best spent upfront thinking about who am I trying to reach and being as absolutely specific about that as possible and what do they need to be persuaded of in order to call me. It's that thinking up front that will make an enormous difference to making your marketing not generic. So you're not just writing articles that seem to fit into your scope of practice, but you are creating content that is persuasive to an extremely specific group of people. And when you've nailed that, things will very much start to fall into place. Yeah. And you've got over on your website, you've got an article there that will kind of help people even dive deeper into that as well. It's in seven things anyone can do to increase their website conversion rate, even if you don't That's have right. web or design skills too. Um, how would they go about getting that? So if you go to Taylist, which is T-A-L-E-I-S-T, -E so tail as in telling tales with storytellers. So if you go to taylist.agency slash seven things so that's numeral seven seven things taylor.agency slash seven things you just hit the download button you don't need to give me your email address you'll get a pdf of seven things that you could do right now that would increase the conversion rate on your website that don't require you having any technical skills it's all about the messaging
Yeah, great. And for those of you listening as you're driving along, walking the dog in your yoga class, whatnot, then head on over to adiomedia.com forward slash podcast. Look for this episode with Stephen and I, and there'll be a bunch of notes there as well. That Of all the links we've talked about and certainly into that page there as, as well. Stephen, thank you for being so generous with us today. It's a beautiful framework. Um, and again, the free download over on your website there will just help people dive a little deeper in, inside of this as well. I, I love the simplicity uh, and the way that you've been able to kind of break all this down um, as, as well. So on behalf of myself and the Marketing Your Practice podcast, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Angus. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you again soon, mate. Take care. Thanks. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now, you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.